Good morning to each one of you. Greetings in Jesus' name. Just a little heads up to the uh, Ethan. I may need a portable mic a little bit later if uh, we need a battery for that. <clears throat> it is good to be back again. And uh, last Sunday was a was an enjoyable day of being home and relaxing with family. And then this week was a little hairy, but otherwise. It is, it is good to be home again, to feel the warm weather and see that spring is very near. As I was thinking about what to share this morning, I have an assignment upcoming in April. And one of the topics is, am I willing to serve where I'm called? And so I wanted to look at the book of Jonah just a little bit. And these are very familiar, this is a very familiar passage But I wanted to give just a little bit of background on the book of Jonah and Nineveh. The book of Jonah was set in the days of the Assyrian Empire. It describes uh, in this passage an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. The population quote, uh, they think at that time, was near 120,000 people. Nineveh was a flourishing capital in the Assyrian Empire. And the book of Jonah depicts Nineveh as a wicked city. A wicked city worthy of destruction because of what God saw in the city. And God called Noah to preach to the Ninevites of their coming destruction, of the coming destruction. And because of what Jonah preached, God, or the Ninevites, they repented. And as a result of that repentance, God spared those people. The remains of Nineveh are located near the Tigris River. And I don't know if you all know of the geography over in the Middle East, But the Persian Gulf lays down at the bottom, and then Mesopotamia, or Iraq, is just above that. The Tigris River, they think that uh, maybe the Garden of Eden would have been somewhere in Iraq near the Tigris River and the other rivers that were named in the book of Genesis. But they say that what they have found is an area of 1,900 acres And that is encircled by a brick wall, or a a large wall, I guess it's brick, uh, seven and a half miles in diameter. This space is now a huge ruins and is parts, parts of suburbs have popped up in the city of Mosul. And we hear that word, the, the, the city Mosul, mentioned in the news. Mosul is a large, a major city in northern Iraq located about 250 miles north of Baghdad and Mosul stands on the west bank of the Tigris River. Nineveh was a very important uh, trading intersection for commercial routes there near the Tigris River. It followed the great highway between the Mediterranean Sea and the Indian Ocean, and it became one of the greatest regions or the greatest ancient 
cities. Just a little background. For me, I like to picture in my brain where these things are. And as I think about the Persian Gulf War and Kuwait lying right beside per, uh, uh, the Persian Gulf and then right above that, Iraq. And then I think about the Garden of Eden in Mesopotamia where all of the people spread out from there. It just kind of gives me a little bit of a visual of what actually happened to those people. But as we look at the book of Jonah, we see a little bit in the very beginning here, God calling Jonah. So I'd like to read there in Jonah 1.1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for, her, for their wickedness is come upon, up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And I want to stop there just a minute. Jonah received a distinct call from God. Now, I may say Noah or Jonah, or sometimes I get my characters mixed up. So if I say Noah or Moses, I mean Jonah. (laughs) Jonah had a specific call from God. It said, the word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, go. I want you to go and do this. But it says he gave a distinct reaction. He got up, but he got up to flee. He purposely ran away from that calling. He intentionally went to Joppa. He found a ship headed away from Nineveh, and he knowingly paid the fare to get on the ship to go away from God and his call in his life. But I also have a question for you. Has God called you for some specific purpose in life? And maybe He hasn't called you yet, but maybe God is preparing you for a call in your life. Be prepared, God will call. God will knock on your door and God will ask you to do some things that maybe you are not so comfortable doing. Be prepared. It may be something big like what happened here with Jonah. But most likely, God is simply calling you and me to simple and profound and yet profound obedience to follow Him. Are you willing to step forward in faith and obedience to God's call on your life, whether it's something big? or whether it's something really small. Verse 4. It says, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid. Now I want you to take note. It says these men, the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. 
picture in your mind this ship. It had lots of trunks and casks and goods stored on this ship to be shipped to another destination. These men were equipped and knowing of how they needed to handle the product, how they needed to sail from one port to another. And there's no doubt that these men were professionals at their job. They had probably sailed rough seas before. But this wind that came was a mighty tempest. And it says that they were afraid and cried every man to their God. And when that didn't work, they decided, we're going to lighten the load. Cast the, cast the barrels over. Cast the other stuff over. We're going to lighten the ship so that we can spare our lives. I think of these men as fairly tough and hardworking men. Men that face danger basically every day of their life. And Jonah was sleeping. How could you sleep in a ship that was tossed to and fro, back and forth, because of this terrible storm that was raging about? How do you think Jonah could be sleeping in that ship? Any thoughts? How could Jonah be sleeping in that ship? Anybody want to venture? That's what I have in my notes. Maybe he was exhausted. Jonah had to be exhausted. Have you ever been to the point of physical exertion or mental or emotional exertion where you just felt like collapsing in a heap? Yeah. Jonah had to be exhausted. Jonah was running from God. He was looking over his shoulder. And when any of us run from God, when we live in, a disobe- when we live in disobedience or live in sin, it is a tiresome, hard-working turmoil that requires a lot of energy. And if we look back at the psalm, David, it said in Psalm 38, To bring to remembrance, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand hath pressed me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities are gone over me, over, I'm sorry, mine iniquities are gone over mine head, as a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. David, in his sin, says, it was so much weight on me that it just wore me out. And when we're running from God, we get worn out. And I do believe that Jonah was tuckered out from running away from God. In verse 6, So the shipmaster came to him and said, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. 
If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come, and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And I can imagine when those, whatever they did, whether they threw dice or sticks or whatever they threw, or whatever they did to draw that lot, I can imagine that those men were waiting, anticipating that lot being thrown. And they were wondering, is it me? What have I done? And when that lot was thrown and it pointed towards Jonah, I can imagine every one of those men looking at that lot and then looking up at Jonah. And then I can imagine Jonah standing there saying, "Uh, uh, Well, and then they said unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? And the confession came. And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. And then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, What have you done? What hast thou done? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. You know, it's really interesting how people know what is right. Even people that are not living according to what Scripture teaches, they may be living in sin, they may be, they may be even just good moral people, but not following what Scripture teaches. It is so very interesting how people know how we as Christians are supposed to live. And if you do want to know, just ask. Because they will tell you how we are supposed to treat them and others and one another. These men were seamen, but they knew from what Jonah told them that he messed up and he needed to take care of this issue in his life. And they also knew that they possibly thought maybe they could help with the issue. It says in verse 11, And they said unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. And I know that these men, even though they were probably a fairly tough lot of men, I can imagine that these men were probably like, it's really not right for us to take this man and toss him into the sea. Let's see what we can do. So in spite of what Jonah told them, they tried their best. They tried their hardest to use the strength, the knowledge, the experience to see if they could fix the problem, if they could get this ship to where it needed to be. And in verse 13 it says, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not. For the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. 
Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. These men had tried their best. They, were, they had worked their hardest. They had done all that they could do. And that was the end. Physically, they couldn't do any more. And they cried to God, but the sea still raged. And they knew that there was no other way but to take this man and do what he told them, cast him over the board, overboard. So they took Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. But get this. Verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Even in the midst of disobedience, God in His power, in His omnipotence, in all of he, that He is, God spoke to these men. Now whether they remained faithful, we don't know that. But Jonah was called and Jonah ran. He was called to carry a message to a, weak, a wicked people. And that message was of an imminent danger. The city of Nineveh. This great city was to be destroyed. And all of the inhabitants would perish. 120,000, if that's a correct estimate. Men, women, innocent children were to be destroyed. Why would you run away? with such a calling on your life. If you knew that you could run down the if, if you knew that you were driving by a house or a big building and you knew that this building or house was full of people and you saw a fire about to start at this building or this house and you knew that by stopping pulling off to the side of the road and running into that house and saying there's a fire starting and that could, you could clear that building of all of those people, wouldn't you do it? And I would dare say that every person in this room, if they were going by a building that was full of people or a house, and you saw a fire starting, you would do your utmost to help deliver those people. So why did Jonah run? Didn't he care about the people of Nineveh? Jonah's flight not only delayed or affected the people from Nineveh, but it affected himself. It endangered the lives of the crew of the ship. And yet God used this incident even to speak to these men. After they threw him overboard, it says, Now God had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Verse 17. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And in chapter 2 it says, And then Jonah prayed unto the Lord, his God, out of the fish's belly. Now I don't know what you have faced in your life. But I would dare say that none of us have ever experienced anything close to what Jonah experienced in having the lots cast and having those men take him up and cast him into a raging sea. And it says that as he went down, 
the seaweed wrapped around his head, and the water engulfed him. And then the fish swallowed him. But Jonah was at the lowest point that he could ever, ever possibly be. And he prayed to God. And if you'll notice in this passage, I don't think there are any prayers by Jonah before this. I may have missed something. In the last verse it says, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. And Jonah did something else again, he says. It says in verse 3, So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. And then it talks about how big Nineveh was, and I shared a little bit of that prior it says, Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It's amazing how quickly they received this message. In verse 5 it says, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. Do y'all know what sackcloth is? Anybody? James? Yeah. It's kind of like a burlap sack. It was a, it was a rough, coarse woven fabric. Uh, what I read it is mainly made from goat hair. Um, but it was a token of mourning or sorrow worn by the Israelites it was a sign of submission or grief or even self-humiliation. Something like burlap. I was going to bring some along and I forgot it. But these people heard the message and repented and put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. It says, For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid his robes from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do to them. And he did it not. This message worked. Repent, or this city will be destroyed. And the people repented and sat in sackcloth and ashes. God did a great work in the hearts of those people. And the city, the physical beings, the 120,000 people, men, women, and children were spared. 
as Christians. As followers of Christ, we are called to minister somewhere, somehow, to someone. It may be the call of the church to preach or even to teach, to be a trustee. You may be the one that's asked to carry this glass of water and set it up here, which is fairly small and not much, very much used. This glass usually gets untouched. And Dennis takes it and dumps it. But when this glass of water is needed, it is much appreciated. A very small task, and yet something that is appreciated when it's needed. You may be called to minister like Elmer in a foreign land, or maybe even in your shop at home. But are we willing to be used to, be, to, to go where we are called to go? Or are we looking for a ship to Tarsus? Are we willing to be used for the building of the kingdom of God? The places that we are asked to go, the things we are asked to do, may not be the most pleasant or fulfilling, but are we willing to give up our goals and dreams for God? Are we willing not to be able to get some things done that maybe we want to get done because we're called to minister, to care for others? I think I'm going to need that mic soon, and I'd like to have the children come up. So, children, if y'all could come up here. I think I'm going to sit over here, and I've got a story I'd like to read you. And uh, if you think you're too big, come anyway. I think you might like it. Y'all can sit right here on the floor and on this bench and right here. This story was shared. I hope y'all can see the pictures. I'm going to show y'all the pictures. This story was shared to me, shared with us from a friend of ours. It's called Two Brothers, One Mission. Anybody ever seen this book? Okay, good. Two Brothers, One Mission. A cool evening breeze blew gently through the trees on the porch of the Taylor farmhouse in Michigan. Myron and Walter sat in silence, both deep in thought. Their young wives were chatting inside as they washed the supper dishes in the kitchen. Finally, Walter spoke. Your news about going back to Africa surely surprised us, Myron. How does Ada feel? Is she willing to leave the home you and your family now ha have now here in Michigan 
to start a new mission in Africa? How do her parents feel? Well, Walter, Myron said, Ada and I met on the mission field, and when we were married, we promised each other to always follow the Lord wherever those paths might lead us. I know Ada's father is Bishop John Engel, but we haven't told him yet. We wanted you and Melinda to be the first to know our news. We'll visit them very soon, though. Walter wasn't sure. Africa is a long way to go. You want to sit over here? And you can see my picture there. There. Africa is a long way to go. Still only a few missionaries who have gone there from the Brethren in Christ Church. Maybe you should wait until a few more have prepared the way for this new mission you're thinking of. Are there good roads where you're thinking of going? What about the houses? And are there doctors for your children? Where will your girls go to school? Myron eased his brother's mind. Walter, Walter, all you, say, all you can say is likely true, but we know God will care for us any, in any of these situations just as He has before. The mission board has invited us to be missionaries and share the good news of Jesus with the people. In Sikolongo, where we are to be thinking of going, there is a great need to share the good news of Jesus' love. We will probably be asked to go and begin work in the Zambezi Valley. Ian and I feel very privileged to serve the Lord wherever He is, wherever he is so needed. And the mission board has opened that door for us. They sat in silence again. Finally, Walter broke in with a question about another thing that worried him. Myron, who is going to support you and Ada? Where will the money come from to help you eat and live? Well, Walter, that is another concern. We will have to care for most of our needs ourselves. But again, we trust the Lord for that. Ada and I believe our needs will be supplied. Melinda and Ada had finished the dishes and joined, now joined Walter and Myron on the veranda. The conversation quickly turned to family and friends. Nothing else was said that night about the upcoming move. A week went by before Walter and Myron got to meet again. During that time, Melinda and Walter had done some serious thinking and talking. When Walter saw his brother again, he said, Myron, Melinda and I have, a, have an offer to suggest to you and Ada. When your family goes to Africa, Melinda and I will farm here in Michigan, and we will send some of the money we earn to, to you. We can live on less, and in that way we will also share in being missionaries in Africa. Oh, Walter Myron said, that would be such a sacrifice for you and Melinda, but what a generous offer for you to share in our ministry in this way. It is surely an answer to our prayers. There is just one thing, Myron. This must be our secret. Melinda and I want no one to know about our arrangement. As you wish, Walter, and may God bless you and Melinda. From that point on, preparations moved very quickly, and soon Myron and Ada and their children were aboard an ocean vessel bound for South Africa. After they arrived in Africa, they boarded a train and began the trip to Choma. Then they took an ox cart and finally they arrived in the location where the Sikalonga mission would one day be built and established. Walter and Melinda kept their promise and worked to support Myron and Ada's ministry, and no one knew. 
They were often criticized and misjudged by neighbors and family who figured Walter was just a poor provider. His buildings were not always painted. His crops did not always do well to lack of fertilizer. The neighbors saw his rusty old car, but neither Walter nor Melinda told the secret of how their money was being used. Walter labored in his, feeble, in his fields in Michigan, but in his heart, in a way, he knew he was a missionary too. Myron was always thankful for the brother's support that made it possible to serve God in Africa. For 25 years, Myron and Ada worked among the African people. They helped the sick, built schools, shared the good news of Jesus' love, and established churches. Myron also worked with the Europeans who were helping to build remote roads in remote areas. Myron and African Christian helpers would often follow the road workers into their remote camps and share stories about Jesus around the campfires at night. On one of these visits to the work camps, the event happened that would cost Myron Taylor his life. A lion had been prowling around the camp at night and frightening the workers. Mr. Walter, the European supervisor, set a large trap to catch the lion. Even though the lion was eventually caught, it somehow managed to escape from the trap, but not before it was injured. Myron and Mr. Walter knew an injured lion would be very angry and even more dangerous. Myron wanted to track the lion and shoot it, but Mr. Walter suggested waiting to allow the lion to become weaker. Not willing to wait too long, Myron finally decided to take three Africans with him and look for the lion. After a few miles through the bush, they were able to track the lion, but by now the lion was very angry because of his injuries. Myron loaded his rifle and shot twice. When he stopped to reload the gun, the angry lion charged. The men with Myron were frightened and ran toward nearby trees, leaving Myron alone to defend himself. Eventually the lion left and the men came down from the trees to try and help Myron. He had been badly injured by the lion. One of them left to get Mr. Walter who walked three miles to where the others waited with Myron. They made a stretcher from branches and a blanket and the men carried Myron all night through the hills and woods to the mission. After walking for hours they finally arrived at the mission. By now Myron was very weak. One doctor was called from Choma. Another was called from 100 miles away. They arrived by traveling the night. Two doctors decided to operate, but while they were to save the life of the faithful missionary, passed away. The next day, surrounded by his faithful wife, Ada, other missionary friends and scores of African people who had come to love him, Back in Michigan, word of Myron's death reached Walter and Melinda. The news made them sad, but they were happy to know that God had used their families together to share the love of Jesus with many people. It wasn't until years later that the story was revealed of how these two brothers had shared one missionary experience together. One brother stayed in Michigan and another went to Africa but both shared equally in telling the good news of Jesus' love in the Zambezi Valley of northern Rhodesia. Y'all can go back.
God's ways are often, are always so much higher than our ways that we don't understand. And as we saw in this story, many of the neighbors critiqued their life because of what they didn't get done physically in this earth. In the things that a lot of us deem as important. But really, in light of eternity, is it important? God called Jonah to share a message of truth. A message of, of coming destruction. And Jonah just drove by the burning building. But when God took him to his uttermost, to, to the depth of the uttermost for, for Jonah, Jonah realized the burning building. And he realized the message that he had. And even as he said later on, he got upset with God because God spared these people. God's ways are so much higher. Deuteronomy 32, it says, Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew. As the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass, because I will publish the name of the Lord. Ascribe ye greatness unto our God. He is our rock. His work is perfect. For in all His ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is our God. Is God calling you to a work in His kingdom? Whether it's carrying a glass of water, whether it's calling you to minister in the church, whether it's calling you to minister in your home, whether it's calling you to minister to your own heart, God is calling. Are we going to look for a ship? Or are we going to respond in pure, simple obedience? Lord bless you.